Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Thank you. What a wonderful service we've had so far. Awesome songs, wonderful prayers, and thank everyone for being here today. Thank you all of our wonderful visitors. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we appreciate it, and we are blessed by your presence. Have you ever lost something valuable? Like, for instance, maybe your billfold, or in my case, keys. Our glasses are the two things that trouble me. I remember one time um, we were doing outside work and Kim had to go buy some groceries and I kept looking for my glasses, could not find my glasses. I needed my glasses so I could read. Look, look, look. And behold, Kim comes swinging around the corner and there on the bumper of the car was my glasses. Shazam! Of all things. But what if you lost your reputation? Or what if you allowed yourself to become an embarrassment to the church? Folks, I have to be honest. I remember whenever I was a young teenager, I made some foolish choices. Some really dumb things. And back then, if you asked me if I embarrassed the church, I probably would have said, no, these were done in secret. But unfortunately, they damaged the church. When you sin, when we sin, it affects the whole body. When the one member rejoices, all the members rejoice. When one member suffers, all the members of When you sin, everybody's impacted negatively. Perhaps you were unhealthily influenced by someone. Perhaps being with or listening to the wrong people or the wrong person. You ever done that? Been negatively influenced by somebody that you're messing with? Being around? We find ourselves facing a similar issue here in Revelations chapter 2. So turn your Bibles to uh, Revelations chapter 2 verse 18. I have it on the board here and we'll Read it here pretty shortly. Now here was a church, a congregation, just like here, just like anywhere you would find, whether it's in Norman, Oklahoma, or, or Dallas, or Atlanta, or in my hometown way back when, Rinkin, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. Every church is being contested for truth. Every church it's being decimated by sin. And in this particular case that we're going to study here this morning, it's all due to one influential person. How would you like to be that person named in the Bible? Negatively affecting a congregation. How would you like to be named? That would be horrific, wouldn't it? But we're talking about the church at Thyatira. And Thyatira was a province located in what is now western Turkey. And it was famous for red or purple dye. But it was also famous for something else. And that was, it was a city that was established probably more so than even the bigger cities by what is called guilds. 
are in our vernacular today, that would be unions. If you wanted to work, you had to be a member of that guild. The problem was, tied to these guilds were the worship of Greek gods, and this meant participating in some unsavory practices. Work was hard to come by by any other way. If you wanted a carpenter, you had to be part of the local carpenter guild. If you were interested in pottery, you had to be a part of the guild of pottery. But there was a certain woman in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. We remember a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, who, one who worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened to listen to the things which were spoken by Paul when she and her household were baptized. She begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So the church of Thyatira, things were happening all around Thyatira. A lot of great, good, godly things were happening. And we find ourselves, we're going to study a few things along the way in this study. Number one, what they had. What did the church have? We want to know. We want to find out. We want to also find out they lost something. What did they lose? And we want to find out what must they do? What must happen for them to get back on track? And then what we must do as well. So right on the outset, we find this. Starting in verse 18, it says this. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I don't know about you, but that sounds like trouble for some folks. And also, it sounds like Jesus means business. And he is very personal with this situation. As we're going to read, this is a problem. He's coming like a righteous judge. And it says that his feet are like fine brass. Um, in other words, sometimes you hear a lesson and you say, Boy, that was a toe stomper. Well, that's what I conjure up here. Jesus is coming to step on a few toes. He's not going to worry about it. Because souls matter. Souls are on the line. But there are some things, great things that were happening. Notice he says, I know your works, in verse 19, love, service, faith, your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Quite a number of good things. And if you just casually just breathe by these words, you'll miss a lot of things. Number one, works. These are not just any type of work. These, these are not works that you're doing just because it's a good day to wake up and do something good or just do a work. These are works that is argon, ergon, which means works that are rooted in the resurrected, resurrected Savior. These are, this is from a belief in the resurrected Savior. It's that 
we are his workmanship, Paul would say. And uh, created in Christ for what? Good works. That's the type of works that Jesus is commending. Notice it says love. Don't just drive past that and not put your finger on it because that word is agape. And that's a powerful word, don't you imagine? Don't you agree? Because that's a self-sacrificial love. Selfless, servants. The word service is powerful too because it means this is very personal to these people. They were very supportive, helpful, involved with each other. And that word faith means a lot too because it means a conviction. It means a commitment. And don't miss patience. My wife is constantly reminding me, oh, you need patience. We need patience. Patience is a virtue, honey. And that always gets my goats because I know she's right. But this is a powerful type of patience. It means it's perseverance. It means endurance. It means unyielding. Pretty powerful description. Now, in the next verse that we'll read in and study in a minute, Jesus used the words, My servants. Don't miss this. Underline my servants because this is actually translated bond servant. So if you just take it as servant, you'll be missing the truth of what, what had Jesus so upset. That these are bond servants, literally coming out of the Old Testament. A slave being free, and yet he is voluntarily committing his life to his master. A life he's willing to live in the life of servitude. Willing to lay down his life for his master. Even though he can be free, he chooses to stay. This is why had Jesus so upset with what was going on. He commended him for all these great and powerful things. And you know what? Today, if we got a list together of all of the things that, that we could describe ourselves or that maybe Jesus, we would think Jesus would characterize us as, I bet you a lot of these things would fit. I bet you a lot of them would fit. But Jesus emphasizes one other thing, and that is, your works that were from the beginning are more than the first. That's pretty awesome. Wouldn't you say? They were excelling is the point. Excelling. A lot of good things is my point. A lot of great things happening at this church. But they lost something. What did they lose? Well, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. I would say, uh, duh. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have a few things against you because you allow 
that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Notice Jesus is riled up. And I wonder, I had to wonder myself, I wonder if Jesus was writing a message to the church here in Norman off of 24th Avenue Southwest. I wonder what he would say to us. Even though we congratulate one another of the characteristics that we could describe ourselves, I wonder what Jesus would really see in our hearts. Unfortunately, here there is a war going on. And Jesus spells it out. A contest between the truth and evil. Between darkness and sin. And Jesus specifically points to one person who is the leader of the pack. Now Jesus specifically mentions a woman named Jezebel. As I said earlier, I wonder if I would receive a letter from Jesus, if it would say, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that nasty old Bruce Kessler to teach and to seduce. Now that would be horrific. But I bet you he would have something similar to say to me and to all of us here at the congregation in South Canadian Valley. Because there is even now a contest for your soul. There is even now a battle going on for truth. And he specifically mentions Jezebel. And that could have reference to the Old Testament character of Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16. If you recall that, you can go back and read 1 Kings chapter 16. If you recall, she had married King Ahab. She was a Sidonian who was into, or they were into, Baal worship. And if you recall, Baal worship was a hideous, sickening practice. Indulging in fornication, child sacrifice, all kinds of just crazy stuff. It may really make your hair stand up. And you're going, ah! And it didn't take long for that Jezebel to sink her claws in the weak need they have, causing him to surrender his authority and surrender his heart. She did it without one shot being fired, causing a nation to commit sin before God. Not just Baal worship. If you recall, King Ahab also decided to dabble in idolatry. Talk about something that really gets to God pretty quickly. You start dabbling in idolatry. Why is that so important to God? Because of your loyalty. Your loyalty becomes divided. That's why it's so hideous. You're surrendered to the truth and you have a new master. And it ain't good. 
All of this, as I said earlier, without firing a shot. Later, to silence whatever voices were left to teach the truth, she sought to murder all of God's prophets. She had about 500 of them taken care of pretty quick. And if it hadn't been for some hiding them in the cave, they would have been lost themselves. And that's similar here back to the study that we're having in the church of Thyatira. It implies that this Jezebel had a platform. She was given a platform. You allow is what the word is. You permit, you tolerate, you have absolutely no resistance and you offer none to this false teacher. That's why it's so ugly. How does this individual claim the hearts and minds of so many Christians? But Jesus spells it out by teaching and seducing, by instructing and deceiving. Get it? I wondered myself, how could bond servants be so gullible? How could bond servants, which is a very powerful word that Paul uses to describe himself quite often, how could a bond servant be led astray? Well, then I thought I was reminded of the verse in Matthew 24, verse 14. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will do great miracles and wonders insomuch if it was possible, the very elect should be deceived. Then I remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Folks, it could happen and happen quickly. And what she was doing, Jesus says, was through teaching. And what she was doing there was connecting to their thought pattern, to the way that they were thinking, and connecting with seducing, impacting their hearts, causing them to sway. If James chapter 1 puts it this way in verse 14, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away out of his own lust and enticed. Enticed. That's the key. And that's what she's doing here through seduction. Enticed. Enticed. Fallen prey to. Uh, Satan is laying a trap. That's the hook. That's the bait. And he wants you to take that trap. He wants you to reach out like a fish would a, a bait. Surrendering whatever opportunity that you had to resist, you none gave that up. That's past. That's gone. You cast that aside. Now Satan has picked your pocket. And you've given place to the devil. Read with me in Second Peter. Because I think this describes what's happening here very well. In chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. It's going to happen. It has happened, brothers and sisters and friends. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in their destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and will bring on themselves swift destruction, 
and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetous means. They will exploit you with deceptive words, seducing. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. I think we see that happening in real life right here. It's going on with the church of Thyatira. Don't you agree with that? This, the truth, is what they allowed to be lost. Their defense was down and truth was lost. Stepping out of the umbrella of protection. Stepping away from behind the shield of God. The armor is off. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 puts it like this. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And I was thinking, you know, today is Mother's Day. A happy Mother's Day to everyone here. What a beautiful time it is to recognize the power of mothers. And what a contrast between Jezebel and the faithful women described by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and then persuaded is in you also. Amen, folks? What a contrast. Are you faithful? And we are so appreciative and blessed because of your faithfulness, mothers. We appreciate it very much. But the church here is losing all kinds of things. They are losing truth. And Jesus now begins to tell them what they must do in verse 21 through 23. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. And by the way, that sexual immorality is kind of, you're missing what it's really saying because it's more deeper than that. It encompasses all kinds of immoral activity. Not just sex out of marriage. So you need to understand that. So Jesus says, hey, I gave her time to repent. And she did not repent. She refused. You know how you're around the wrong person? When they refuse the will of God. When they refuse the words of Jesus. When they refuse to live a life of Christ. When they refuse to honor Christ. Knowing what they should do and decided not to do it. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Isn't that wonderful? Begins by talking about this is hard stuff, God. This is hard stuff, Brother Bruce. It's hard for you to tell me that I've given you time to repent and you refused and came over. But the game's not over because Jesus 
is still Lord and Savior. And He still gives us time to repent. And even as horrible and outlandish things that were going on in the church at Laodicea, Jesus still says, you got time. You can still repent. Jesus still is offering a chance at repentance. And why did he need to remind us about this? Because he says, I will kill her children with death. Judgment. God's righteous wrath is coming. This is plainly seen and evident here. This is horrible stuff to read. But it's true. And all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your own works. You better be careful. That's what Jesus said. You better be on your toes. You better know this is a real battle, a real contest because Satan is still the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He works eight days a week, as the song says. Eight days a week, I love you. Well, you know what that was saying? That was saying, if I had one more day of the week, I'd still love you. Well, if there was one more day left for Satan, he would still try to get your soul. He hates you that much. And he hates the Lord that much. And we need to be reminded who's in charge of the church. And it's Jesus. I am he who searches the mind and heart. He is searching your heart and my heart and my mind and my soul right now. And I need to be sure it's right with him. And guess what? I got time to repent right now. Now what we must do, there are some good news, folks. You would think in a situation like this that everybody that was part of that congregation would have said, okay, I had enough of that nonsense, and I'm leaving, but I'm on my way back home, and I'm not turning my back. I'm not, it's, it's over. Well, apparently that wasn't the case here. And a lot of times we throw in the towel when things get rough and go somewhere else and think, Oh, hallelujah, things are going to be better on the other side. And it's not any better anywhere else. This is your home. This is your church. This is Christ's church, and you are part of it. Honor that. Jesus says, Now to you, I say, and to the rest of the entire as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Hold fast what you have till I come. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that powerful? Beautiful? But hold on fast what you have. What did they have? 
Sounded like to me they had a lot of trouble. Sounded like to me they had a lot of chaos. Sounded like to me there was not a whole lot of good going on. But remember, back in the commendation of Jesus, there are things that they can hold on to. The resurrected Savior, the finished work of Christ. Hold on to that. Because no matter the outcome, that is what will save you in the end. They had works, they had love, they had service, they had faith, they had patience. They had Christ. That was worth holding on to. Hold fast, he says, till I come. But then there are some spectacular things said here. Pretty awesome stuff. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. Guess what's going to happen? And you're going, well, I'm not going I'm I'm to believe this. Well, you better believe it because it's written right here. Let's read it together so we can be assured. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. I also have received, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning starter. Two things that are going on here. One, he says, I'm going to give power, give the one power who overcomes and keeps my work to the end. I'm going to give him power over the nations. That's actually a quotation out of Psalms chapter 2, which is a chapter about Christ. And his work. But you ever thought about this? You ever wondered about this? What in the what? Shazam, Brother Bruce. This is awesome. And it is. Peter reminds us that we are a holy priesthood. Paul reminds us that we are right now seated in heavenly places. Right now, seated in heavenly places. John tells us back here in Revelations chapter 1 and verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he has made us what? Kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then... Revelations chapter 20, it's pretty clear that we are reigning with Christ right now in His kingdom. This is something that we are experiencing right now. And to me, what an awesome reminder of that visual that we're experiencing right now. Right now. I, I want to read to you Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25 through 27 because I think these are some powerful words. If you recall in Daniel chapter 7, old Daniel had a vision of four great creatures rising out of the sea. Three of them that didn't mention that much and the fourth scared him to death. Well, in the interpretation of those four beasts, the very simple interpretation and it was, hey, 
four beasts represents four kingdoms, four kings, and God's people will possess the kingdom. That's it. Very simple. Who was the fourth kingdom? Who was the fourth beast? The Roman Empire. Now notice what it said about that time. Verse 25. And he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given to his hand for a time and times and half a time. It's hard for me to grasp, thinking of our relationship with Jesus, that we are going to be given over to suffer into the hands of our enemies. And yet, that's exactly what happens. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion and consume and destroy forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is what is happening right now. What a beautiful Beautiful truth to reveal and uncover. And then he talks about, I will give him the morning star. What is the morning star? Jesus, you know, refers to himself as a bright and morning star. What does the morning star do? Well, it ushers in a new dawn, a new beginning. And here I think it's just referring to this experience that we're going to enjoy with Christ as he takes us by the hand as we enter in our new resurrected bodies, and He's going to usher us into our heavenly home. What a beautiful experience that will be, folks. Beautiful in every phase and in every way. Do you believe that? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Do you hear it this morning? Do you hear the truth in what is being said here? And I want to offer up a few things as we draw to a close. We discovered, we talked about these four things. What they had. Very powerful. Very dynamic. Jesus commended them in so many different ways. What did they lose? Well, they lost truth. And when you lose truth, there is no other protection. There is no other way to overcome sin. There is no other way to become more like Christ. All you have is you. And you standing alone against the forces of evil. Uh-uh. Ain't happening. What must happen? They needed to repent. Just like we need to repent today if we embarrass the church by some sin in our lives. What we must do? Overcome. Keep the works of Christ. The business of souls. That's what this contest is all about. Loyalty matters. Who you listen to matters. Who has your heart matters. Is the teaching you're listening to, does it bring you closer to Jesus? Does it bring you closer to the church? Does it bring your relationship with one another closer? It's what you're listening to calls you to look at Christ in different negative ways. 
maybe to do things that are questionable, maybe even ungodly things. We need to hold fast until he comes. That's what he asks us to do. Keep the works of Jesus and live a faithful life unto death. That is the message I have for you this morning. Perhaps you need to come forward this morning. We don't know. I don't know. I don't know your heart. Maybe there's some sin. Maybe you embarrassed the church at some point in your life and you never released that to Jesus. You never gave it up to Him. You never said, I'm sorry. I want to give it up to you. Please forgive me of my sins. That's what this is all about. Turning to the truth. Turning to the one who says, you will be free and free indeed. And that's powerful. You can experience that freedom right now as we come and stand and sing the song. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.